0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign overall. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives.
1: Was it possible to know the unknowable? From time to time in my family, a little debate occurs around the dinner table, and I'll avoid using names to protect the innocent, but usually it centers around the age-old question, do aliens exist? Now, one half of our family is adamant, absolutely adamant that they in no way, do not know how, it's not possible that they exist. The other half of our family is a little bit more reluctant to make such an absolute statement uh, and declaration about this. I mean, how can you possibly know that on, so, on some far planet out in the remotest parts of the universe, there isn't some sort of living organism there? How can you possibly know all of that? Uh, right, I think you know where I stand on this, but, but frankly, it's a mystery, right? We're trying to unknow, or we're trying to know the unknowable. I think many of us consider God in, in the same way. We think of God as completely unknowable. He is, in fact, to us, uh, a mystery. Somebody we just can't conceive, can't draw close to, can't, can't know or relate to in any way. And because we believe God to be unknowable and, and we put him in the category of a mystery, we just have to try and live our lives as, as best as possible without him. Now, that's how Babylon, the king of that's how the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, this, this one that we're hearing in this passage in Daniel, that's how he views life. And I would encourage you as you, as you have an opportunity today to take some time when reading Daniel chapter 2 and the whole of it. But I just want us to go into this story where we find a king who, who believes that there are great mysteries, there are things that there are, there's a God who is unknowable and he has no way of navigating his life with that God. Now you get into Daniel chapter 2 and you see Nebuchadnezzar, he, he gets a dream. He has a dream in the middle of the night. Uh, you might call it a nightmare. Uh, he says his spirit was troubled, his sleep left him. He was disturbed so much by the dream that he just, he lays awake now at night. He can't sleep, it bothered him so much. And so what does this king do? He, he assembles and commands all of his Babylonian wise men. You got the list there in verse 2, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. He gets the whole group together and summons them to come and to tell him his dream. He, it's not just that he wants to know what the dream meant. He wants to know the dream itself. He has a little test for them. So he gathers this group together and he says, okay, guys, here you are. I'm ready for you. Um, I want you to tell me my dream and the interpretation of that dream as well. Like we've got to figure this thing out. Tell me the dream and its interpretation. And, and the wise men of Babylon are standing there, maybe a little shocked and surprised, and they're like, "Well, well, uh, OK, you tell us the dream, and then we'll tell you the interpretation. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is like, "He's not having that at all. So he goes, he goes, no, 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 you tell me the dream and its interpretation. And, and the wise men then again are bobbing their head and they're like, Yes, you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And then because they're like, No, no, my word is firm. My word is sure. You tell me the dream. You tell me its interpretation. And if you don't, I'll, I'll have you torn limb from limb. Your house is laid in ruins. I mean, this is a serious thing. Now, in Babylon, it was the practice for a king who had dreams like this to ask the magicians and uh, the uh, wise men of his day for an interpretation. And so what he would do is he would tell those magicians and those uh, interpreters, he would say, here's the content of the dream, here's what I dreamed last night. And what those magicians would do is they would go and consult one of their dream books. It was uh, several pieces of literature that they had, uh, both Egyptian and Babylonian, that they would go and they would consult for the interpretation of the dream. There were lines in these dreams books like, if you dreamed of eating white bread, that meant your face was going to be bright and happy and you were going to have a good day. But if you dreamed, I'm not making this up, if you dreamed your house was on fire or you were on fire, you were going to get slaughtered, which I think that dream is evident in and of itself. But nonetheless, they would consult these books for the interpretation. Well, Nebuchadnezzar does not want any books consulted for the interpretation of his dream. He wants to know, do these magicians really have access to the divine? Can they really peek into the mysteries of the universe and what is unknown to find out what is known and what is real? He's not going to play these games. He's had a terrifying dream, and he's fearful that that dream portends a terrifying conclusion for him. And so he wants divine insight. So he's not going to tell them the dream. He just wants them to know, did the gods tell you what I dreamed? And have the gods told you what the dream is about? Because I want to know. He doubles down on it, and he says, if you don't do this... You're torn limb from limb, your house is laid in ruin. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. And the magicians are stunned. They're terrified in this. They think that Nebuchadnezzar is so paranoid and fearful that any attempt to depose him of his rule is what's happening here. But he won't budge. And the magicians say, This is impossible. Verse 10, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing the king asks is difficult, that's to say the least, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. I mean, the the magicians reflect on not even the gods being close to humanity, to be able to reveal the mysteries and the things that are unknown. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is royally angry at this moment. He's got a terrifying dream in his mind. He's got magicians who can't do their job, frankly, in his face. And he's ready to eradicate them all, wipe every single one of them out. And that includes the guys that we've been looking at, the friends that we've been studying, Daniel and his buddies. They're part of this Chaldean magician group that have been brought from exile in captivity from Judah to Babylon. And so the threat is out on Daniel and his life as well. Verse 13 says, The decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, one of the ways that we can misinterpret the book of Daniel is that we can try and make everything a line of parallel practice to our lives today. Daniel does this, and then we should do that. And and we look at Daniel looking for him to be the hero and in some ways, his life is very exemplary, and we should follow and think about how he lived, but we make up principles of moral living or virtuous things to do, thinking that if we practice them the way Daniel did, we will find success. Let me be clear here about this passage. Daniel, as faithful as he is, is not the hero of Daniel chapter 2. This chapter is intended to build confidence in our lives about the true hero of this chapter, and that is God. God. The one that they think they cannot know. God here is intending to point out to us the truth that the magicians of Daniel's day could not and would not figure out. They thought the secrets and the mysteries are with the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And this passage shows us God is one who draws close. There is a God in heaven who reveals the unknowable. There is a God in heaven who reveals himself. Or if I could. Put it simply, God is greater. This chapter shows us God's supreme and glorious goodness, His all-knowing wisdom, and that He stands above all, and He is one that you and I can know. And it is because you and I can know Him, because He reveals mysteries of Himself to us that make Him greater than anyone, anything, any other lesser God in the universe. For Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and us today, the crisis of this story finds itself and finds its answer in God Himself. So I want us to walk through this passage and and I want to draw out three things about God that illustrate to us this morning that He is greater, that there is a God in heaven who does reveal mysteries, namely Himself, and that you and I can know Him this morning because He is greater. First of all, I want us to see that God's wisdom is greater. God's wisdom. Now, if you're, if you're Daniel and, and you're his friends here and this command has gone out, that you, because of the, the class of society that you're part of, the, the occupation that you have, are about to be executed because of an impossible request by a paranoid and impulsive king, what do you do? The executioner, the story here in Daniel 2 tells us that the executioner, uh, comes to Daniel. The decree went out, this is verse 13, and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch. Here's this nice guy, right? He's, he's the executioner. It's his job. But he's just doing his job. He's, he's doing what the king has commanded to him. He, he comes to Daniel and his friends to kill them and, and Daniel replies with prudence and discretion to him and he asks, What's going on? Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Scripture here just points us to Daniel's wisdom, his prudence, his discretion. He's got wisdom in how he acts with those who are responsible to kill him. And, and he goes for a little light on the situation. He is asking, why is this so urgent? Why is the king's hammer about to fall on us so quickly? I don't think Daniel and his friends were present before the king when this edict went down. And so he's confused. Maybe he's trying to figure out the reason everyone is getting rounded up so quickly to be executed. And Arioch explains the whole situation. The king has not had his dream known. No one's been able to interpret it. He's angry. So he's going to kill you all. And so Daniel, with wisdom, he makes a request. He says, can I set an appointment with the king can I, can I make known to him at a future date the dream and its interpretation? Will he give me that opportunity? Let's, let's set a date on the calendar. Now Here's the reality. Daniel knows his God, and he exercises great faith in God as one who will make the mystery known. He's living in faith that God will make himself known to Nebuchadnezzar. And so verse 16 says, Daniel went in and requested to the king to appoint him a time that he may show the interpretation to the king. He's like, I'm trusting God that he will make this known, he will spare my life, he will help us, that God will reveal this great mystery. Permission is granted to Daniel. And so he goes home, and he gets with his friends, and, and, okay, just put yourself in Daniel's shoes here for just a second. What do you do here? I mean, how do you figure this one out? The appointment is at 10 a.m. tomorrow, and you've got to have an answer. You start like, well... What did he eat the night before? Let's maybe evaluate the menu. Maybe he had some bad pizza, and so maybe he had a really rough dream because of the bad pizza. Let's let's figure that out. Notice here what Daniel and his friends do. Verse 17, Daniel went to his house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. They go and they pray. They they cry out to the God who reveals himself, to the God of heavens, to the God who reveals mysteries. They plead with him and ask and request mercy. Their lives were on the line, but there is a God. They believed this. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and cares for his people. And they know this God because this God has made Himself known to them. They walk with this God. He's greater than any God or any other thing in the universe. So they go and they pray and they seek His provision and His wisdom and His care and His protection, His his mercy. Now, we don't have the words directly of their prayer other than that they prayed. And and there's a simple, almost underwhelming statement in verse 19 about what God did. They prayed and saw God's mercy, and it says in verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Like, just matter of fact, God showed up, and He gave Daniel the answer. God answered their prayers and gave Daniel that vision of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation right then and there. You see, God met with Daniel, and Daniel's response is gratitude. He answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and you have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Here Daniel sees this great God who he can come to and he can know and he can pour out his heart and he can pour out his need requesting and asking for mercy. He's asking for wisdom and God supplies it from his wisdom and might. The Lord is so great Daniel says he blesses God, he he is sovereign over the times and seasons and kingdoms of this world, and he gives wisdom, he reveals the unknowable. Daniel praises him for that, for God gave that wisdom and might and made known the unknowable. Daniel here knows the God who possesses all wisdom and might, and he knows that God reveals or that God gives. He pours out his wisdom and understanding. God is greater because of His wisdom. And I would wonder, do you know this God as well? Do you know this God who is all-wise, and yet He is not far off? He is knowable. He's one you can draw close to. This God who invites us to seek Him and inquire of Him for the wisdom from heaven that we truly need. This is what James 1.5 says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you know this all-wise God who is disposed to supplying and giving his wisdom to those who ask in faith? This is one of the things that makes God so great. You can come to him in your need and seek mercy. You can come to him in your brokenness and seek his help. You can come to him in your weakness and seek his supply. He gives it. The culture's view of wisdom and the gods, the universe, is that the gods are inaccessible. Wisdom may be non-existent. The gods are non-existent. And and wisdom ultimately is something that you have to produce internally. You have to come up with yourself. You've got to find and manufacture it through, through some sort of way of living here within. But true wisdom, greater wisdom, is from God. And he gives it to those who will seek him and pursue him. Again, I would ask, do you know this God that you can draw close to and seek His mercy and seek His wisdom because His wisdom is greater? He supplies that to Daniel in his need, and He will supply it to you and yours as well. We see that God is greater because His wisdom is greater, but not, secondly, God's kingdom is greater. I mean, this is what makes God so great that we can know Him is that His kingdom is greater. Now, Daniel has received the insight on the dream and its interpretation. And so at the appointed time, he goes to the king, and and he comes before him. And the king asks him, he, he says, can you tell me the interpretation? Verse 26, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And I love how Daniel answers this. He says, king, no wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no astrologer, can show you the mystery that you've asked. Not a one of us can. But but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. Notice here what Daniel says. I mean, he just... He comes into the king, he knows the dream, he knows its interpretation, and the king asks, Can you tell me this? And he's like, Nope, I can't. Me and myself, no magician, no enchanter, nobody on this team can reveal to you what you're seeking. Nobody has the power to do that. But he testifies to God who is greater. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he's shown himself, he's shown the mystery to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel can't take any credit for his own cleverness or insight. He merely points to the God whom he knows. Again, it's a point for us to reflect. How often do we point to God when he works in our lives and when he supplies our weakness, or when he supplies wisdom, when he supplies mercy and grace for us? How often do we point to God when he's at work and we've interceded for his help? Daniel goes right to giving God glory and attributing this work, this knowledge to him. Now, what about this dream? I think that's something that we're all curious about. This is a wild dream. What is God saying to the king here in this moment? Well, let me summarize this part, passage for you, part of the passage. Nebuchadnezzar saw a great statue. This is how he talks about his dream. Actually, how Daniel talks about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar saw a great statue that consisted of four distinct types of material. At the top, and we've got a little image here that you can help visualize this. At the top, the head, it was gold, and the torso and arms were silver, and the abdomen and thighs, they were bronze. And then the legs were iron, with the feet of the, the statue being iron mixed with clay. Now, Nebuchadnezzar sees all of these things, and the interpretation that Daniel gives of this is that these represent kingdoms from Nebuchadnezzar on. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that he and his kingdom were represented by the head of gold, a subsequent kingdom, and an inferior kingdom was the silver part of it. The third kingdom was bronze, and the fourth kingdom, iron, and as Daniel says, that crushes everything, and it shall break and crush all these. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to, to spend with these this morning, other than to say that from the Babylonian kingdom, from Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the gold, came the next three kingdoms, the Medo-Persian, which is represented by the silver, the Greek uh, empire, represented by the bronze, bronze, and then the Roman empire, represented by iron there. This was a striking revelation to Nebuchadnezzar of how human history and human kingdoms would unfold from his reign on. There was one more element to this dream. Daniel says that Nebuchadnezzar saw a stone not cut from any hands coming down and shattering the feet, the iron clay feet of the statue and breaking the whole image into pieces So that, verse 35 says, Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the element of the dream that terrifies Nebuchadnezzar because he sees and perceives his kingdom will not last and endure forever and ever. As Daniel interpreted the dream, he spoke what God told him and he declared that the stone represented the God of heaven setting up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This is verse 44. Nor shall a kingdom be left to another people. It shall stand forever. There's no doubt that this kingdom is the kingdom of God and the rock itself is Christ. The kingdom of God overcomes and breaks to pieces all earthly human kingdoms. I like how John Piper puts it, the kingdoms of this earth are just footnotes to God's eternal kingdom and God's glory and history. And that that kingdom coming up, that rock coming up represents Jesus Christ born in the midst of the Roman Empire as he ushers in God's kingdom which can never be destroyed. It's Christ's kingdom that can stand forever. So Daniel concludes in verse 45 by saying, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream and its interpretation are sure. And just imagine how important this dream is for Daniel and for Nebuchadnezzar. For Daniel, it's encouragement that even though he's a captive and an exile in a pagan and hostile culture, his God is greater. His God is in control of all the times, all the seasons, removing and setting up kings and kingdoms. That's what he prayed in verse 21. Daniel is absolutely secure in his God and the coming of his kingdom. And for Nebuchadnezzar, God is revealing a mystery to him. And that mystery is the reality of who he is as God. God is making himself known to Nebuchadnezzar. He's making what is unknowable known, not just the future, but himself. You see, God is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is great, and you rule as if it's gold, like you're you're just the best. But there's a kingdom that will endure forever. There's a kingdom that will last Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that terrifies him, but he's brought into conversation and reflection on the God who is true, and God reveals his heart and his inclination towards Nebuchadnezzar, mercy. This is a God revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar in order that Nebuchadnezzar would worship him and adore him and be desired by him. God shows him all this to show him his greater kingdom. He is the King of Kings. Now this God who is in heaven and reveals mysteries has one more thing in this passage to say about himself. He shows his wisdom is greater, his kingdom is greater, but he actually he rather lets the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar say this. And that is that God is greater than all authority. I mean, these are the words, I love this in verse 47, these are the words of a pagan king about the Lord God. The king hears the dream and its interpretation Just as he said at the beginning of the story, he bestows gifts and rewards and great honor on Daniel. But he says something about God there. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Get this, Babylonian culture was a very polytheistic, pantheistic society. There are gods everywhere. And Nebuchadnezzar, by the testimony and witness of faithful Daniel, is able to proclaim that Yahweh, the Lord God, is God over all gods, that he is king over all kings. This God is the one who reveals himself. Nebuchadnezzar proclaims this because he's experiencing God who's making known what is unknowable, and he believes it. Friends, what a powerful testimony this is that God can be known that you and I can know him, and that God reveals himself to us. This should call us to recall that Jesus himself, as Nebuchadnezzar proclaims that God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, that should remind us that Jesus himself claimed that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he says. And so go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We, we see as, as Nebuchadnezzar proclaims the God who stands over and above all other beings, all other entities, all other powers, we can know him and by his authority, we can go and proclaim the good news of him to all peoples everywhere. We can go and share the good news of Christ's wisdom, kingdom, and authority as a blessing for all people because one, as one day, as the scripture says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is why ordinary Christian faithfulness matters. As we we reflect on who God, He is the God who possesses all authority. He is the God who can be known. And He is the God who reveals Himself to humanity and welcomes us into relationship to Him. If anything, our lives and our words should be a faithful witness and testimony to God and His kingdom. As Daniel does here, he shares who this God is. He makes known what is unknowable to a king who doesn't know God. And we too can share Christ with our neighbors and our family and our friends so they too can get in on the absolutely unending supply of God's mercy and love. They too can know the one who is perceived to be unknowable. I think this is why we live with ordinary, faithful witness and testimony and as we do we proclaim a god who is greater than all other authority how do you know the unknowable well if we're talking about the god when well, we're talking about god the reality is is that he has made himself known we can know him because he has revealed himself and has shown that he is greater than all things We can know him because he's revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ who came and made the mystery of God's mercy and kindness known by standing in our place and dying on the cross for our sins. He made known the mystery of life after death by dying and being raised to life again on the third day so that everyone who trusts in him will not perish but have eternal life. Friends, do you know this great God? Can you proclaim with your life truly, God, the Lord God, is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries because his wisdom is greater, his kingdom is greater, and his authority is greater, and he has made himself known. Do you know this great God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us that you are one that we can cling to and come to for mercy and grace. We thank you for your greatness that you stand supreme above all others. No one's even close to matching your greatness. So Lord, we ask that we we would be able to draw close to you and know you well. That we would... That we would perceive what you have done for us in Christ. That you would build our faith so that as we look to Christ and as we trust you, that we would know you as well. Thank you for your mercy and goodness. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.